Today on episode number 406 of the Teaching in Higher Ed podcast, Kevin Kelly's back, this time to talk about how to create flexibility for students and ourselves. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Welcome to this episode of Teaching in Higher Ed. I'm Bonnie Stahoviak, and this is the space where we explore the art and science of being more effective at facilitating learning. We also share ways to improve our productivity approaches so we can have more peace in our lives and be even more present for our students. Kevin Kelly teaches online courses as a lecturer in the Department of Equity, Leadership Studies, and Instructional Technologies at San Francisco State University, where he also previously served as the online teaching and learning manager. He works with colleges and universities as a consultant to address distance education, educational technology, and organizational challenges. Kevin co-authored with Todd Sokrysik, the 2021 stylus book, Advancing Online Teaching, Creating Equity-Based Digital Learning Environments. Kevin Kelly, welcome back to Teaching in Higher Ed. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be back. You know how people say that sometimes social media can just be a cesspool? Well, I don't find it that way. And just the other day, I was on Twitter and saw you talking about how to turn a Zoom chat into a useful summary, and you ignited my imagination. And I'd love to have you tell us a little bit about what this approach is and how we might use it in our teaching or in other aspects of our work. Sure. Well, I've used it in professional development circumstances, conference presentations, and in my own class. And it can work for any video conference solution, but the one that I put on the tweet that you just referenced was specifically for Zoom. And I just did it uh, last week for a, a university in Massachusetts where I did an online professional development event for them with, I don't know, somewhere between 30 and 50 faculty. And at the end, faculty were saying things like, I want to use this idea with my students. And so then one of the instructional designers said, hey, can we talk about how you did this? And so I hopped on Zoom with her and walked her through some steps. And I said, you know, enough people have said those same things that I really should make this just open for everybody. And so what I did is I went through the process again for myself and the stuff that I've been doing over 10 years to streamline how you move. Uh, you probably remember the Zoom chat documents when you download them and save them are kind of unwieldy, right? They are a number and then a from some, some to everyone. And then you get to the heart of the ideas. And so I wanted to come up with a quick and easy way to, to strip out all the stuff that didn't make any sense so that I could start doing what is in effect uh, qualitative data analysis, where I'm looking at what are the patterns that are emerging. And because I wanted to facilitate these um, conversations with people and make it easy for myself and others to make these summaries. I started with this. Well, before we even have the engagement, I need to start using some technique to make it easy to group all of the ideas that people present. So that's back 10 years ago, I came up with this idea of using hashtags in the Zoom chat or the Adobe Connect chat or the WebEx chat, whatever you're using, so that you can basically see where, when people are addressing a specific topic. Mm -hmm. And 
And that has helped me create the groupings. And then later on, and you can count how many times people said specific things, pull out quotes that people used to expand on an idea or share how they're performing a specific teaching technique. And so it's been a really rich way to generate these summaries from the, the Zoom chat. I wanted to give an example when you were first sharing about it. The first thing that popped into my mind is I have a community building thing that I do at the start of most of my classes. And we ask two questions of each other. Since we last met, what's something that brought you life, as in brought you joy? And since we last met, what is something that took life away, as in wasn't the best part of your life? Mm -hmm. And I was thinking even of a hashtag, there could be a hashtag brought life and a hashtag took life away or, or whatever that, that case might might be. And for listeners who aren't familiar with hashtags, they're generally represented with a pound sign. And Kevin, I, I suspect this has probably happened to you as well, but I've had it. I don't mean to poke fun at people. They just don't know sometimes, but they're talking about they could talk to their IT department about setting up a hashtag for a conference. And it's like, oh, actually, you don't really have to do that. You could just type in the pound sign and all of a sudden you've just created a hashtag, but they really are easy to create. And so many social media now use them. And for so many of our students, they're just accustomed to the idea of hashtags. But what they may not be as accustomed to is how this allows them to track better with the conversation. And as you said, in real time, seeing the patterns that are emerging right there, oh, that person's mentioning this concept or this idea. And you having that be more prescriptive of the grouping in advance, we can see it in real time. And then would you talk a little bit about what that then turns into after the fact when I download that and you do a little bit of work to to do this kind of analysis? You bet. Yeah. And to piggyback on your definition of hashtags, if we just look at the, the second half of that tag, people are used to using those as a way to filter information. And so we're just being proactive in creating tags that have this little hash symbol or pound sign, as you say. And I think it's got an octo, there's a actual word for it in the dictionary that I can't remember right now, but it'll come to me. The idea that we want to get rid of all the information we don't need so we can summarize what's important from the discussion. Using tips and tricks from things like Microsoft Word, you can insert a tab here and there so that basically when you convert the entire body of text into a table, you can delete the first column, which has all the time codes and delete the second column, which has all the people's names. If you want people to be anonymous, or you can replace, do a find and replace. So it just shows their name and not the from Bonnie to everyone colon. So then you you're using a much cleaner body of text to start doing your analysis. And I typically do it in a couple of different ways. One, I'll do it as a background knowledge probe to identify what people already know about a topic so that we can see that there's alignment between what I present and what they already know. And we can talk about the outliers and things that they don't understand or haven't associated with a term. A lot of my talks recently because of the book that Todd Zakrajek and I put together about equity for online teaching. So I'll put hashtag equity and ask people, what are three to five words or phrases that you associate with that term. And then you get this rich list of things like fairness and removing barriers and all those great things. And so then you can create a list of 
A lot of people associate it with fairness. A lot of people associate it with removing barriers. Only a couple people associate it with addressing assumptions and biases, but that's really interesting. Let's discuss that. And one person put what makes them feel more equity as an instructor or as a student. And so we put that as a quote. And then you have this nice, nice tight bullet list or paragraph that summarizes something that took maybe three to five minutes, but many lines, maybe even a page or two of text and summary is now down to a bullet list or a paragraph. And so you can do it before, again, like I said, before you present an idea or after. So sometimes I'll say, hey, here are my strategies for assessment. And I'm going to discuss universal design for learning, design for learning equity, human connectedness. And at the end of this, I'm going to present you with a primary hashtag assessment and some secondary hashtags, UDL, equity, and connectedness. And then people can then use that set of hashtags to make it easy again, to look at the ideas they're generating and cluster them in the appropriate ways and generate something that the students can use in a class that the people who participated in the participated in the professional development can use after the fact. And as you mentioned before, people who weren't able to be there in the live experience, this creates a pathway for them to be part of the conversation. And if you really want to go crazy with it, you can turn it into a Google doc and allow people to add uh, after the fact. So if they're asynchronous participants, they can add their, their ideas either with a plus one or with a, Hey, this is what I do in my class. Mm. I love that thinking about the all the ways we can sort of prime people to be thinking about a topic before they come in. And you mentioned reflecting on prior learning and then beginning to engage. Are there any tips that you have for us? Because no doubt people will forget. I mean, I know myself, I sometimes forget to add a hashtag when I know what one is even and I and I know what when I wanted to add and I'll just I'll sort of misplace it. Do you have suggestions for how to help people either learn or relearn these norms around adding these hashtags in? Well, so I usually recommend doing it proactively by creating a, a prompt slide in your presentation so that basically people are forced to sit and think. Uh, even if you just put one question on a slide, there's research that shows that people move from passive mode to active mode and they start thinking through what they would answer for the question. So by putting these hashtags embedded in the question, what are three to five words you associate with hashtag equity question mark, then they see that as a visual cue and you can put some instructions. What I usually do is use a two column slide and have the question on the left and on the right, I'll say in the chat, type the hashtag equity and then add your ideas. So that way you have the question that's getting people to think and then some instructions because after they think they forget what I've said <laughs> and I don't want to have to repeat it all the time, but it's a visual reminder an auditory reminder. So we're using universal design, even in the, the presentation of the activity. Yeah. What I love about this practice is that it provides us with that kind of flexibility that we've been talking about. If I wasn't able to be there, I can engage after the fact. But also you've introduced to us some flexibility for ourselves as facilitators, as instructors, to not have to do the painstakingness of analysis. It, it helps to, to create it where we can use our minds more for what they're good at, but also this converting this data 
to a table and then being able to remove easily the superfluous information is great. And you've also done that by knowing that those people who are listening right now who want to learn more, they can go and click the link to learn about this practice. And then you also have this wonderful sample from a conference that you did. And that's the, I don't know how to pronounce it, A-A-E-E-B-L-E meetup. Do you want to talk about that, what people might see in that sample just to get some more inspiration? Then we'll look at some other practices. Sure. So we ran an online event for ABLE, the Association of Authentic, Experiential, and Evidence-Based Learning, one of the longest acronyms out there. (laughs) And because it was an international event, one of the first things that I did was created a hashtag hello. And I, I asked three questions. Who are you? where are you and how are you? And so as part of that, people would put their institution, what city they're in. And so I was able to generate a Google map by just searching for the institutions that people had entered so that people could see how many people from Australia, Ireland, Grenada, different countries around the world, Morocco, the United States, um, they could see all the pins and be interested in the, the international community being investigating these ideas of generating evidence for of learning through e-portfolios and other digital means. And so, um, again, I, I offered that up as an example, A, because it's a public document. We, we made it available to everyone who participated in that online event, but also so that people could see how you can weave these keywords that, you know, 17 people said this particular uh, word when they thought of generating evidence. But here are some great ideas, and I would put their name and their institution to give them credit for sharing that idea. And so just really, it's meant to be an example of what you could do with this practice um, in different settings. Well, and it's such a stunning visual display. You talked about the cumbersomeness of the Zoom and other chat functions across different web conferencing tools and just how beautifully displayed this is. And it instantly invited me into wanting to learn more about what was talked about at this meeting and the visual depiction of all the voices that you were hearing from on that day. It really is a wonderful, wonderful example. Well, I know this is just one of many tools that you're going to share with us today about how we can build more flexibility in for our students and also for ourselves. I'm really interested in how you use a startup and shutdown checklist. And I've even done entire episodes just about checklists before. So I can't wait to hear about this one. What do you what do you do to help streamline things for pre-class setup with these checklists? Well, these days, instructors are faced with a number of different challenges when they head into the classroom and they're talking to students, addressing their questions, they're hooking up their laptop to the projector. And if they know that they're going to be recording the session for students who can't be there, or if they're going to be possibly streaming it on Zoom at the same time, then there are additional aspects of that setup. And the last thing you want to do is forget, oh, I forgot to hook to the Zoom meeting and those students missed the first 10 minutes of class. And so creating that checklist in advance makes a lower cognitive load for you as an instructor to remember all these different tasks. And you can even add in different pieces of script, like walk in the room and tell everybody, hey, I'm going to answer questions, but I would love to have two minutes to set up with all these different technology gadgets, um, talk amongst yourselves, um, write down your questions. If, if you're in the room and have a device, here's 
the link to the Zoom that we're going to be using if you want to be in two different modalities right here in the room. But that checklist really allows you to not worry about some of those factors that could prevent you from remembering, oh, I forgot to press the record button. I forgot to do all these things. And it also makes you think, what are the things I could do before I even get into the room? One of the things that I've been, and I think I put this in a blog post or something, but I compared it to Anthony Bourdain's Kitchen Confidential. And he talks about the factors that really make a chef great when they're slammed in a dinner rush. And so you boil it down to things like preparation. So this checklist is an act of preparation. Then there's the idea of practice. You've done these different techniques and things enough times that you feel comfortable doing them when you're in a higher pressure situation than just when you're at home cooking for your family. And then planning, making sure that you know hey, I've cooked this dish enough times that I know it takes 15 minutes to get it ready to put in the oven to finish off. Or it, it takes me um, so many minutes to get the salad ingredients ready to combine in a bowl. Or So then you're starting to say, okay, well, if it takes that much time, then I need to start thinking about ordering things in a specific sequence so that I I'm streamlining this process. And so it all comes up to thinking through those different aspects of being a great chef. And we can see ourselves as chefs or artists. We often hear the concept that education is both an art and a science. And so I, I like to lean into that and, and give people freedom to be creative, but also, again, I'll use that word again, intentional, proactive, whatever word you want to use. Yeah, I've found even with once you have a set of pre-class and after-class checklists, there are many contexts in which automation can actually help us do that. So um, I use a Mac and we have something called Apple Script, and I didn't even create these scripts because I'm not much of a programmer, but I modified someone where these are the applications I want to run every time I start teaching. Do I need to have Zoom running? Do I have any kind of a, what, what is my general setup? What kinds of things? And do I have that do not disturb turned on? And in my case, I like to quit out of any applications that might be pretty, pretty bandwidth heavy. So is Dropbox quitting. I don't need to sync Dropbox files while I'm, while I'm in the middle of teaching that kind of thing. So once we have those checklists, then we can look at the little ways in which we might be able to automate. But I think the good starting point, of course, is just to have that checklist to begin with. I know another tool that you use to help us with this is called a run of show. And what kind of a run of show might we use to plan out our class meetings? So taking that idea of the checklist one step further and that whole idea of prepare and plan and practice, the run of show is to start thinking a little bit more about what a course, a class meeting might look like in advance. And so the reason I bring this up is some of us are so comfortable with our material. We can walk in with our slides. We know that we'll be able to engage students in these great conversations. But as soon as you add in, okay, I need to have two different sets of instructions for the face-to-face -face students or the remote students, or I don't want to forget that some students might be watching the recording. So I want to acknowledge them when I gave the, give the instructions. Now press pause and go do X and come back. And when you press play again, we're going to discuss the results of what we came up with in real time. And we'll find a way to make sure that you can share your ideas so that they're woven into one entire class experience rather than these two 
parallel train tracks that never actually touch. And so the, the idea of the run of show is then you start planning out, okay, I want to do maybe a pre-recorded mini lecture that people should watch before they come to class. And so my opening activity is going to be something rather than sit and listen, I'm going to have students do something. They're going to do a quick write. They're going to answer some poll questions. They're going to do a think pair share. And I want to map that out. Again, I need to plan on, I need to give instructions to, to different groups of students. And so I want to make sure that they are ready for what's going to happen. And I'm ready for, oh, I'm, I told you I was going to put you in breakout rooms. So that means I need time. While the people in the room are talking with each other. I need to go to Zoom and create breakout rooms. And so you're, you're increasing the amount of time certain things take when you're thinking about classrooms that are now expanding the ways in which students can learn. And so instructors sometimes do this by choice. In some cases, it's an institutional choice. And sometimes you might be in something uh, like an AB cohort where half the students are in the room at a specific time and the other half is online. And then the other day of the week, you switch a Tuesday, Thursday is a good way to do kind of an AB model. And Chico State in here in California calls it Chico Flex rotating. And they also have one called Chico Flex concurrent where everybody has the choice to be in the room or not. And they're totally avoiding the recordings at the moment so that the teachers can focus just two different modalities of teaching and learning instead of three. And so these strategies like a run of show, basically the same way you would do if you were running a panel during a conference, or if you were actually putting together an entire conference, the run of show becomes bigger. It's we have a break, we have a real-time concurrent sessions, and then we have another break, and then we have a plenary. So it's just mapping out what does the time look like? Because time can get away from you. And if you know that something's going to take longer, you're used to doing a thing pair share and it only takes five minutes. Now you have to double that time. Then what are you going to either do differently or pre-record so you have more time for activities in your class? It's just that act of thinking through your class meetings that kind of helps us be more successful and helps our students as well. Some people may have thought in the past about putting together lesson plans. What can you tell us about if we put on a mindset of doing a run of show, what benefits do we get from thinking of it from that kind of a lens that a traditional lesson plan would not necessarily afford us? Well, I think the key thing, and again, not everybody is going to be in this situation, but when you have students in different modalities that are all learning and moving toward the same learning outcomes, then there's a concept that a lot of people really like called equivalency. And so how do we make sure that we're, even if we're using different techniques or activities, we're driving students toward the same learning outcomes. And so when we're coming up with a lesson plan, we might think, oh, wow, a student on a mobile device, they're going to have a harder time maybe doing it X, Y, or Z. If they're sitting in their car, they could still write with a pen and paper. So we could give some prompts to think about how they can be successful learners in whatever modality they're in, whether it's by choice or it's something they've been forced to do. Let's say they work full-time and the only option available to them is to be asynchronous. So yeah, the importance of the prompts is to make sure that students who are learning in different modalities can adopt the right strategies to be successful and reaching the outcomes that we've set out for them. Sometimes it might be very similar, let's say in-person and remote are pretty much on par, but then 
people who might be watching the recording might have to do something slightly different. And so letting them know what those ex expectations are and how they can be successful is just making it so they don't have to come up with it on their own. Students aren't often taught how to learn. So we want to guide them however we can. Yeah. And I know that so much of the conversation around providing this kind of flexibility, by the way, very understandable frustration is just the additional work that it places on people. And I don't want anyone to get the impression that you or I aren't concerned about those things. And yet, <laughs> I also can't resist bringing up that when we do some of these approaches that you're talking about, it actually, you mentioned cognitive load earlier, Kevin, that it really, I mean, these kinds of things can just help us be able to, in advance, plan out how to not have it be as much of as work intensive or require so much of our focus and there's so many failure points when we haven't thought it out in advance how we're going to do these things and providing instructions and, and all of that. So I don't want to miss out on your last two before we get to the recommendations. So could you share us how we could go about soliciting what you call chat jockeys? <laughs> and what's that yeah. role and how could we use it? Well, you may remember back in the day, we had a concept called Google Jockeys, where in the classroom, an instructor would ask one of the students to be a voluntary Google Jockey. And their role was to look up terms that might be unfamiliar to some of the students and to basically find resources related to concepts that students could refer to after the fact. And so let's say, again, we're having a professional development activity. We use the term backward design. Some people haven't heard about it before, or even the concept of hashtag, as you brought up earlier. And so the Google Jockey goes and looks it up and then at an appropriate moment, the teacher can point to them and say, what did you come up with? And so on. So as we've been delving into ways to reduce that workload for instructors when they are either by choice or again, um, asked to teach in multiple modalities, then how do we delegate? <laughs> how do we make many hands makes light work uh, approach to teaching and learning? And one way is to ask students who are in the room who have a device, hey, who wouldn't mind being the Google, the chat jockey today? And basically their role is to monitor the chat and see if questions come up. So when I take my pause every, let's say 10 minutes for Q&A, that they can say, hey, you have a question in the chat and make it so that while you're giving a lecture, you don't have to be paying attention to your slides, to the Zoom, to all the different things that are happening at the same time. It allows you to focus your attention on one particular area and then kind of uh, use what I call continuous partial attention instead of multitasking. Because multitasking isn't possible for humans, <laughs> but continuous partial attention is. And again, if we think about the chefs, hey, I started this dish and I set it aside because I want it to come out at the same time as this other dish and it will be done too quickly if I let it finish all the way right now. And so the same thing is true for us as teachers. We need to be thinking about how we can use the things at our disposal. And sometimes that's volunteers in our classroom. In other cases, they're students who might be hired by the campus. And I've been promoting the idea that uh, I first saw from LaGuardia Community College, their student tech mentors that work with both faculty and students just to be successful tech users. Now, campuses that are supporting faculty as they teach in multiple modes, they're assigning teaching assistants to be tech support in the class, but pedagogically 
adequate tech support where they're thinking through, hey, I'm going to have this activity. Here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to create the breakout. I'd like you to monitor the chat. And so whether it's a volunteer or a work study assistant or something in between, we can start thinking about how we can maintain our role as the person who's kind of guiding people through the learning process without having to take on every other <laughs> multimedia um, role that people are hired to do in normal circumstances. You're reminding me too, Kevin, of that, yes, we can do this from a pedagogical thing, but to me, it's also more inclusive, even beyond a classroom setting, to be inviting other voices to be to, rather than expecting whoever's facilitating, whoever's presenting or teaching, whatever whatever role they're playing to do all of those roles, you're going to miss stuff versus if there's another person that's looking from the perspective of Ooh, what questions are emerging and what patterns do I see out of that? And so what a wonderful way to just share that load and what what positive outcomes there are from doing that for sure. And then the last practice I know that you have to share with us, at least before we get to the recommendations, is to use collaborative annotation tools to bring all students into an environment when we're viewing course materials. Could you tell us a little bit about this practice? Sure. Well, I brought up Google Docs earlier as a way that students could interact around, let's say, a hashtag chat summary that you've created. But you might have some course materials that you want students to review and you want them to be able to do so together. And so let's say it's a poem, the Jabberwocky poem by Lewis Carroll, or maybe it's something by Maya Angelou, because now that she's on the quarter, you want to have a <laughs> real world um, explanation of what are some of the great things that are shown on the quarter that you can find in her works? And so using a tool like Hypothesis or uh, Classroom Salon, or uh, I think there's another one called eMargin. These are all tools that allow students to annotate or put comments. They can highlight things that they find important. There are a lot of different tools that you can use um, where students can read a body of text or a piece of media because there are other tools that allow you to annotate video or audio. Um, there are ways that you can then turn this into a rich interactivity for students across the modalities. So some students are going to do things asynchronously, but this is still an opportunity for them to interact with their classmates. Some students who are live can then refer back to the comments that someone else made in the class conversation that's a follow-up to the assignment. And so these collaborative annotation tools really work towards, again, not only creating equivalent pathways for students to reach the outcomes, but also pathways that are cohesive. So the students feel like they're part of one class instead of multiple. Before Kevin and I get to the recommendation segment of today's episode, I wanted to take just a moment to thank today's sponsor, and that is Text Expander. Text Expander is the longest running sponsor and is such a great partner since I have used and paid for their services for more years than I can remember. And I love it because I, you can start using it really easy. There are things that you type all the time that maybe are hard for you to remember or just 
don't require that much time and you can create really easy what they call snippets where you type in a little combination of letters that you set up and identify and it automatically expands to whatever it is that's again going to save you time or the mental bandwidth of having to go look up that phone number again or that information and it really does save me a bunch of time in fact I have it set up where it sends me the email that'll tell me how much time it saves and I get such giddiness out of thinking about the friction that it reduces and the way in which I can spend that time doing other things that are more meaningful to me. But the thing I was mentioning that I love about Text Expander is that you also can expand how you use it over time. And just recently I discovered that I can use it to simulate inline text in Outlook for Mac because it doesn't have that feature. But my colleague and friend Jim helped me figure out how to how to make that work and, and expanded my imagination for what's possible in Text Expander. Expander. And they have a whole community too, by the way, that'll help you expand your imagination for what you can do with it in similar ways to how Kevin today has been expanding our imagination for what's possible with some of the technologies that many of us use pretty regularly. So if you head on over to textexpander.com slash podcast, you can find out more about Text Expander and redeem a 20% offer for listeners of teaching in higher ed. And let them know that you heard about text expander from teaching in higher ed so that they know we're passing on the good words and uh, thanks so much again to text expander for sponsoring today's episode this is the time in the show where we each get to share our recommendations my recommendations so often don't link to the, the topic of the main show, but this time they kind of do because I think they're extending just a couple of things that people may not may or may not be aware of. One to me that not all faculty may be aware of is the power of using a link shortener. The one that I use is called Bitly. People have probably seen these kinds of links before. They start B-I-T dot L-Y. There are other link shorteners that are out there too, but what they do is they take the gigantic backslash forward slash 227 all this gibberish of very difficult to type in links if you're not able to just click on a link and they make it shorter and of course people probably are also somewhat familiar with QR codes that's so many of our phones today you can just open up your camera on your phone and if there's a QR code in front of it it'll allow you to tap on a link to access it that way so this just came up because some of my colleagues have been able to receive grants recently for speaker series and the flyers that were produced had really long links and I thought oh gosh that's not gonna you know be very helpful so it's just top of mind for me of another way to make the content of a class or other ways that you're sharing in the world a little bit more easy for people to get to. So that's my first recommendation is to use Bitly or another link shortener. And the second one is specific to the iOS world. And I don't mean to leave those of you who use Android out, but since 80% of people <laughs> listen to the show are um, iOS users, I see that from the stats. I wanted to let you know that there is a fairly new feature out that is called live text. And if you take a picture of something, if that thing had a phone number on it, and I took a picture, I could go back to my photos and literally tap on the phone number and call that place. Or if it had a link on it, by the way, and someone hadn't used a link shortener, you could literally tap on the link. You can also even click and drag and select text and copy that text and then paste it in. So what a whole world this opens up to us to be able to be encountering things 
whether that be digitally or whether that be in an analog fashion and then be able to interact with them in that way. So it's called live text and it's been fun. I still haven't even played with all of the features on it. And I did link in the recommendations. You can see how live text and uh, another feature that's related to it called visual lookup on your iPhone to be able to say, what is this thing that I am looking at right here? And there's also some translation possibilities here, ways of looking up information on the web. So I'm just encouraging everyone to go with a childlike spirit and go check this out if you use that kind of a phone. And knowing the Android users, you're all probably yelling into the void right now saying we have something like that. In fact, we have had it for far more years than you do. So I'd love to hear from you if you're listening and you want to share with me uh, what the equivalent might be on an Android phone. I'd love to learn that. So Kevin, I'm going to pass it over to you for your recommendations or if you'd like to comment on either link shorteners or the live text feature well regarding the link shorteners i'm a fan of tiny.cc because Mm -hmm. if you create a free account you can create the unique text that the link is so it's not just a35746 question mark and so i'll do that for presentations like the name of the conference like that able conference that you described earlier and then 2022 and then my last name, Kelly. So you have a nice short link, but it's got some meaning behind it as well. So when people see it, they know what they're they're looking at. It has the cutest name too, Kevin. That's adorable. <laughs> We're going to have to check it out. It's so cute, tiny.cc. Yes. Uh, so some of the things that have been interesting to me lately, and I thought of this one because we were talking about a tweet that talked about using hashtags or keywords. And so I found this tweet about keyword analysis of educational technology articles over 20 years. And they basically came up with the top 50 terms. And basically, if they're something that's on the rise, they're more frequency in recent years or something that's on the decline, something that used to be a popular keyword and now isn't, uh, seemed like a really interesting look at the industry of educational technology over the last 20 years. Another thing that is something that was precipitated by a tweet, we'll follow that theme, is a a colleague tweeted at me, hey, Kevin, here's something for your list of diverse uh, image galleries, because I've put out on the interwebs using a tiny CC um, slash diverse dash image dash galleries. And so they told me about how the noun project, which we usually associate with those fun little free icons that we can put on things, has now a set of diversity and technology collection of images. And so I added it to my free open list of galleries that emphasize diversity and equity in in their images. Those are probably the two big ones. And then if we stray a little bit from the technology and teaching world, uh, I've been reading Taste by Stanley Tucci. And I was inspired to read this because he had a series on CNN related to his Italian background and his love of Italian food. And he traveled to different regions in the country to talk about the the flavors that are predominant and uh, the different foods that you might find there and the ingredients. And so I was inspired to, to read this book that he wrote that goes into more depth about his experience growing up in an Italian household and 
living in Italy as a child for a year when his dad did a sabbatical as a high school art teacher. And it's, it's just rich and it's a nice way to put work aside, put technology aside and pick up a, a book in my hands and, and just enjoy thinking about food. Now, you know, I'm going to ask Kevin, I'm assuming this would be one that would make us hungry because how could it not? <laughs> the, 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 the jacket liner, the, all of the things on the back by other authors and, and chefs uh, say, reading this book made me hungry. So yes, it's uh, yes. definitely come with a, a good appetite. Because, and the nice thing is it's not just stories, but he also shares uh, recipes. And so it's, oh it's, a, it's a nice combination and it's for lack of a better word, it's, it's rich. <laughs> well, I'm laughing too, because you could either come with a healthy appetite or you do that thing with the grocery store. They tell you don't go into the grocery store hungry. So then just don't read the book hungry. And then maybe, <laughs> maybe you end up okay. But with the recipes, that does sound so delightful. I love that. Good I'm going to have to check this out. So, well, Kevin, it's been such a delight to get to talk to you again. And this is so fun just to get to to explore some of these really unique ideas for how we can just help, again, make it more where we can create that kind of flexibility for our students, but also for ourselves as well. Thank you so much for today's conversation and just ongoing getting to learn from you. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate the opportunity. I love chatting with you any chance there is. So um, hopefully I'll tweet something in the near future that you'll see that we'll have to have another conversation. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it so much. Thanks once again to Kevin Kelly for being a guest on today's episode of Teaching in Higher Ed. Today's episode is 406. So if you head on over to teachinginhighered.com slash 406, you can view the show notes for today's episode, download the transcripts or view them on screen, check out the recommendations and more. And I highly suggest if you haven't done this yet, head on over to teachinginhighered.com slash subscribe because that will automatically mean that these show notes show up in your inbox just once a week, along with other related shows, recommendations that don't show up on the podcast episode, and some quotable words and more. Thank you so much for listening to Teaching in Higher Ed. And Kevin Kelly, you have given me so many things to go and explore and look at and experiment with. And thank you again for being a guest on today's show. 